still remember them about that high. What in the world happened? Amen. Tell you what, you stay at the work of God long enough, you get to see things that you really can just rejoice over. But you got to stick with it a while, huh? You got to work in your Sunday school classes, on your bus routes, you've got to be involved and committed and dedicated and just plugged in for not just a month or two or six or a year even, but over the course of time, God will begin to allow you to see the fruit of your labor. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a wonderful thing to watch these young people grow up and have a heart for Jesus Christ. And again, uh, they're not perfect, but then again, neither are we. Amen. And uh, we're just here to help one another. Imperfect people trying to get the job done for the Lord who's perfect. And boy, I'll tell you what, he does a perfecting work in our life, though. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Well, tonight, again, we're glad, we're honored, and we're 
it's a privilege to have with us uh, Brother Martin, and uh, he's going to come preach for us this morning. What a message, amen? Simple, man, practical, right where we, you know, right where the rubber meets the road. And boy, I'll tell you what, uh, we need some preaching that hits us at home. Boy, that did. That was wonderful. You come preach for us, Brother Martin. We're excited about what God's laid on your heart. See if we got this turned on. All right. Good to see you all again this evening, and uh, good, to, good to be here. I have really, truly been looking forward to this week, as I said this morning, uh, and uh, been a number of years since I'd been here, and I uh, just um, knowing that you all had uh, had gotten the building, and knew, knowing that you all were working on it, and trying to uh, uh, trying to get into it, and all the different uh, things that were going on, I was just excited about getting to see it again. And uh, it is good to be here. Uh, if you weren't in the service this morning, I, uh, I'm Evangelist Dan Martin. I'm from uh, uh, Lawrence, Kansas. I've been in Michigan for the last 15 years. I was born and raised in Michigan. Uh, we just moved to Kansas just about uh, four months ago. And uh, our home church out there is Heritage Baptist Church with Brother Scott Hanks. And um, uh, the book table that's set up, a lot of the books were written by Dr. Hanks. And then uh, there's one book that I wrote that's on the table I wrote a book on the fear of the Lord a number of years ago, and that's out there. And then there's also some uh, Bibles and things out there. But uh, I just uh, uh, want to say thank you, preacher, for letting me come. I appreciate it. And uh, I hope that you're trying to prepare your heart. Boy, I, I tell you, don't take for granted uh, the singing that you all have here. Uh, I travel a lot. I'm in a lot of churches. I'm usually over 70 churches a year. And uh, I'm telling you, you all got some wonderful music. And uh, thank the Lord for that. Amen. And uh, I listened to the girls sing. This flooded my mind. Uh, we, when my kids were younger, all my kids are all grown and gone now. And when they were younger, when we traveled together, my oldest daughter would sing that song. And we would sing with her and blend in with her. And, and so it flooded my mind with a lot of memories. And uh, I just uh, uh, thank the Lord for the music. It helps to prepare the heart. Amen. And, uh, and I hope you have been praying. And I, man, I have one lady came up to me and said, uh, from the moment that we knew you were coming, I started praying every day. Thank the Lord, man. I need it. Amen. And uh, God knows what we need. Amen. And uh, if you would allow me to this week, all I want to do, I want to try to be a help to you. And that's, uh, that's the reason I'm here. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I'm not, you say, well, you don't know us or you don't. I don't, but the Holy Spirit does. And I'm trying to pray and trying to be sensitive and I'm trying to preach what the Lord wants me to preach to try to encourage us all. Listen, none of us have arrived. Get an amen out of that one. Amen. And none of us will arrive. Amen. Until we see him face to face, until that moment happens and takes place. So I don't stand up here and I'm not trying to uh, preach down to you or whatever. I'm trying to help you, okay? And just let me, let me try to be a help to you this week and ask the Lord to speak to your heart about whatever it is that needs to happen in your life. I'm going to tell you, your preacher can tell you, Preachers get preached at more than anybody else because God gives the messages to us usually that affect us most too and work on our hearts also. And then we have to present them again and we get affected again and again. And so we get it as much as what you all get it. Amen. And, uh, but I, wanted, I really do want to be a help to you tonight. Uh, grab your Bible if you wouldn't. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, the truth is, I, I'm not a real long-winded preacher. Uh, I'm, uh, this morning you saw I preached about 30 minutes, 35 minutes, and that's about the, t- the type of message I preach. I won't keep you real long during the week uh, um, on, on, the, on the evenings. 
Uh, the messages won't be real long, but they'll be what the Lord wants. Amen? And um, so Genesis chapter 12, I want to take a few moments to go down through a little Bible study and, and bring out a very simple, but I think powerful thought. One that's just tucked away here in the Scripture, and, and I don't know if we really understand the power of it all. But uh, Genesis chapter 12, we begin to read in verse 1, it says this, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto, what's the next two words? A land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This is the first thing we see about Abram, and God uh, calling Abram out. He says, I want you to leave your country, and I want you to head to a land that I have prepared for thee. Now that really is the whole message, and you'll understand it more as we go along. But uh, I'm going to jump ahead of myself here and give you just a little peek into what I'm, where I'm going with this. But the moment that we get saved, this land is no longer our land. Amen. He's got something else prepared for us. And we need to get focused on that. Amen. As we continue down through the Scriptures, he reiterates this to Abram again and again and again and again. Look in Genesis chapter 17. We see in verse number 7, and not just Abram, but the children of Israel, as, as Abram obeyed and began to follow in the, in the children after him. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse number um, and verse number uh, 4, it says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give... Give unto thee and to thy seed after thee, what's the next two words? The land, wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. He's continuing to reiterate to Abram, to Abraham now as he's changed his name. He says, I've got this land prepared. I want you to head toward that land. Now there's a dual thought here, and you'll get more of that later as we go along. But there was an earthly land that he was leading him to, but there was a heavenly land that he was focused on also. Amen. And that's where I'm trying to get us to tonight, get us to see where we're really at here. Uh, we can go on and continue to read over in Genesis 22. Boy, this thing becomes even more evident when God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to offer him up on a, on a mountain as a burnt, on a, a burnt sacrifice on a mountain that I'll tell you about. And, uh, and Abraham obeys him, and he goes, and, and boy, you know the story there, man. He, he gets Isaac, he's bound him, and he's ready to plunge the dagger into him. And, uh, and as he's ready to plunge the dagger into his son, he had enough 
faith and confidence to believe that God would raise him back up if he took his life. Hebrews 11 tells us that. But uh, as he's ready to plunge the dagger into his son, the angel of the Lord cries out from heaven and, and holds him up and stops him. And then I want you to notice what it says here in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars in the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. I'm going to bless you. I've got a land prepared for you. i got this land that I want you to head toward. I want you to get focused on. As you know, the children of Israel began their journey and began their journey to Canaan land, which the Lord had mentioned here. And uh, we're going to fast forward. Let's look to Numbers 13. We see a problem that arises. Numbers chapter 13, on their way to this promised land, God's already promised to them, told them that they were going to be able to possess. It tells us here in uh that as they get there, it says in verse number 1 of chapter 13, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send now men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers. So you send a man, every one a ruler among them. They sent the spies into the land. You remember the story very well. They sent 12 men, 12 spies out into the land. Those 12 spies went in to check the land out, see that if it was everything that God had said it was. And they came back, and they came back with their reports. As we know, ten of those reports were evil, and uh, two of them were good. The only two that were good is Caleb and Joshua about what, uh, what the, the land was. And, and boy, uh, they, I can just picture them coming back as they begin to tell the people that everything was just like God said. It said that they came back bearing between two of them uh, a, a, a cluster of grapes. I don't know about you, but when, I, when I'm reading in the Scripture, sometimes my mind runs and I, I try to picture it as things that I know. And uh, when, I, when I think of that, I think about, I love to deer hunt. Amen. And, uh, and I think of two deer hunters, old-time deer hunters, with a, with a deer hanging on a pole carrying it out of the woods. But wait a minute, the Bible says there was a cluster of grapes so big they had to bear it between two of them. Man, God had really prepared this land for them to be able to go to. But it says that in this passage of Scripture, it says that when they came back and they gave that report, they said, nevertheless. Nevertheless, there are giants in the land. And we're not able to subdue or overcome those giants. Man, thank God for a a Caleb that stood up and stilled the people. It said, we're well able to go in. Why? Because God's already given it to us. Amen. He's promised it. He's given it to us. But they, the ten spies, outweighed the others and convinced them not to go into the land. So what happened and took place? Well, the Lord says you're going to have to wander in the wilderness till all the men of war pass off the scene. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness. Somebody said, I wonder what happened in those forty years. Well, I know one thing that happened. There was a whole lot of funerals. There's a whole lot of people that had to die off. Matter of fact, I read something one time a, a guy had put together, uh, uh, knowing what the Scriptures say about how many children of Israel there were and everything, trying to figure it out. He said it was probably about, about 80 to 90 funerals a day that they had to attend. Oh, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? All because they didn't listen and just obey God and just head into the land that God had prepared for them. Okay, let's fast forward, to, uh, if we would, uh, to uh, uh, Numbers, chapter, uh, uh, Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. 
Now, they've gone through their wilderness wandering, and, uh, and they're at the brink of being able to uh, 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 go into Canaan land again. And notice what it says here in Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. Now, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw... What's the next two words? Of Jazer and the land of Gilead. That behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eliezer the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Adaroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Leelah and Shebam and Nebo and Beon, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle. And thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. I believe this is one of the saddest portions of Scripture in the Bible. I mean, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, and as we find out before the chapter's over, the half-tribe Manasseh joins up with them too. And they, what they did, they saw the land. They began, they'd been in that wilderness land for so long that they began to say, you know what? This land will suffice. This land is good enough. This land will provide for our cattle. It will help our children. It, 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 will, it will be everything that we need. So, Moses, if it's okay with you, uh, let us take this land for a possession and don't take us to the land that God has prepared for us. Now, you can only imagine what Moses is thinking. He's thinking back about what happened 40 years ago. He doesn't want to go back there again. But God speaks to Moses, and this is what he tells him, basically. He says, you know what? If that's what they want, let them have it. No, that's a sad truth right there. But if you fight God long enough, he'll just let you have whatever it is that you want. It's not going to be the best for you, but he'll give you over to it. And that's what happened here. And he said, you've got to go in and you've got to fight the battles and the land and everything, but, uh, but uh, you can have this possession. So... The story, as the story goes here, and uh, when the, uh, um, again, it's reiterated to them that God has this land prepared for them, and, and uh, they go in and they begin to enter into Canaan land, and they have to fight the battles, and they got to go through and conquer all the nations and subdue all those nations. And, and we're going to fast forward now, if you would, and, and look with me to, uh, to Joshua chapter number 22. Joshua chapter 22. I could show you a bunch of other passages, but for the sake of time, Joshua 22. And, uh, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy alone, there's 51 times God mentions about that land that He had prepared for them. In Joshua 22, as we get to this portion of Scripture, they fought all the battles. They're ready to divide the land up. Now they're going to give everybody their possession, the land of their possession, what their possession would be. I want you to notice what it says here in chapter 22, and we'll begin in, uh, oh, let's begin in verse number 7. It says, Now to one, the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan. But unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side Jordan westward. And when Joshua sent them away also unto their tents, then he blessed them. And he spake unto them, saying, Return with much riches unto your tents, and with very much cattle, and with silver, with gold, and with brass, and with iron, and with very much raiment. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. I want you to notice verse 9 carefully. It says, And the children of Reuben 
and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go unto the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession. Notice the next four words. Whereof they were possessed, according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. There it is right there. What do you mean? What would cause God's children to settle for less than God's best? What would cause God's children to be satisfied with a wilderness wandering land rather than the land that He had prepared for them? They got possessed by the land. If you would, they got possessed by the wrong land. What an application for us today. Oh, there's so many things in this old world today that are pulling on, that are drawing, that are entangling us, that are wrapping us up, that are hindering us from going forward to the land that God has prepared for us. So I want to preach for just a few moments on this simple little thought. If you take notes and stuff, you probably don't want to take notes because there's no real outline here. I'm just bearing my heart with you tonight. I just want to ask you this question. Just which land is possessing you tonight? This one or the one that God's preparing for you? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here tonight again. I pray that you'd speak to hearts. I pray that you would challenge us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be honest with you. Father, the, the man of God of this church has planned this revival meeting and he's asked that, uh, that you would meet with us and that you, would, uh, uh, that you would do what you can do to help us, Lord, to bring revival. Lord, we all stand in need of revival. God, I pray that we would be honest enough to, to deal with the situations in our life that we need to deal with. Lord, wherever it is that we've slipped, wherever it is that we need to be revived, I pray that you'd do it in our hearts this week. Lord, challenge us tonight. Help us to be honest with you about just which land is possessing us tonight. We'll be careful to give you the honor and the praise and the glory you alone deserve. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You know, when I was putting this thing together, I was thinking about some, uh, some different little songs and, and that, that, would, uh, uh, that, that bring some of this out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of sing a couple songs along to you, and I don't have a great voice, so you sing along with me so it drowns me out, okay? But as I was thinking about it, I, I, I was thinking about, boy, if there's, a, if there's a, a, a Baptist national anthem or whatever, it may go something like this. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from, and I. You know, so many times we sing songs and we don't even think about what we're singing. That song says that the person that sings that says, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Does that really describe us tonight? I feel like that we as Christians today are so wrapped up in this old world. There's so many entanglements. 
I, preacher, I had a preacher ask me a, a couple years ago, what do you think it is that's holding people back? I mean, there used to be people go to the mission field, people surrender to go into uh, the ministry. And what do you feel that it's holding people back? And I said this, just right, the, the, like the Holy Spirit blurted it out of me, the world. The world. What do you, hey, hey, there's so much that this old world has that we love. And that we've allowed to get a hold of us and get uh, and captivate us and and boy to to think about living our life for something that we've never seen or we we don't you know we're, we're just this is all about faith this is about something we're supposed to believe and have confidence in and man sometimes it's so much easier to just accept the things of this life rather than continue to trot along toward what God has prepared for us you know that word possess there here's what it means. It means to siege, to lay hold of, to uh, fasten. It says this, to be held by lawful title, to be occupied, enjoyed, or this is the last part of the definition, to be affected by demons or invisible agents. And when I thought about that, I thought there's the two sides of it. What do you mean? Hey, anybody that is possessed by this old world is definitely possessed by demons. I mean, they're, they're, they're being affected by demons. But somebody that has their sights on the right land and what God has prepared for us are, effect, are affected by invisible agents. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, over there in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27, it says about Moses, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Amen. You know, the thing that will keep us on track for God is our faith and confidence and belief in seeing that which is invisible. Because we're affected by it. Let me tell you something. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Amen. We need to get back to being people of faith and living this life by faith. Amen. And something that we've not even seen or not... Exactly. We're placed in this world for, for, for a, 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 an important uh, purpose. And that's to make a difference. Not to be like it. Amen. So, so that we can prove what is different. Hey, look with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 13. Jeremiah chapter 13. Just going to look at a few passages tonight. Jeremiah 13, I think of this. This is what the Lord said about His own people, about what happened to the children of Israel. I'm going to tell you what, America parallels the children of Israel so much. So much. And uh, uh, there's so many similarities about what the children of Israel did. Hey, we're the only two nations that, that I know of that were founded upon the same God. Amen. And we parallel one another so much. But here's what it says about them in, uh, in uh, uh, Jeremiah 13, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord unto me, go and get thee a linen girdle. That's a man's attire. A linen girdle was something like a, uh, it would be like uh, probably what we would think of as shorts today. <laughs> but they would be down, they would cover the knee because it's nakedness if they're not, according to God. So they, he said, go get this linen girdle. And he said, uh, put it upon uh, on thy loins, put it not in water. And uh, so I got a girdle, according to the word of the Lord, and put it on my loins. And, and the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, Take the girdle that thou hast got, which is upon thy loins, and arise, go to Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole of the rock. Now, that's pretty crazy. I mean, he, he put this girdle on, and the Lord was just trying to show him, okay, it's got a purpose. Here's the purpose. A man's girdle, a man's garment. Now I want you to take it and I want you to go hide it by Euphrates. That's a river. 
I want you to hide it in a hole of the rock there. So he does. It says, and uh, so I went and hid it by Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. Verse 6, it came to pass after many days that the Lord said unto me, Arise, go to Euphrates, and take the girdle from thence which I commanded thee to hide there. Then I went to Euphrates, and notice the next two words, and digged. Oh, well, I thought he hid it in a hole of the rock. Well, he did. But it was by a river. And it was by the river, and you know what happens by a river. The rains come, the water rises, erosion takes place, and guess what? It got covered up by the earth. And so he had to dig to get it out. And notice what it says here. It says, and, uh, and took the girdle from the place where I had hid it, and behold, the girdle was marred. It was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, After this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people, which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart, and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle which is good for nothing. God says, I'm telling you, this is the story here. The girdle got near the earth. It got covered up by the earth. And then the next time you went to get it, you couldn't even use it because it was so uh, uh, consumed the earth had marred it it was profitable for nothing good for nothing as God had said the picture is his own people got in the world became like the world covered up with the world profitable for nothing and he goes on to say this in the next verse he says for as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord. Hey, you got a purpose. What's that? Hey, you're my children. Cleave unto me. And it says that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory. But they would not hear. He said, hey, this is what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be my people. You're supposed to be my name. You're supposed to be my glory. But you didn't want to hear it. You wanted to be like the earth, like the world. Boy, if that doesn't describe us today. We're so wrapped up in the things of this life. We weren't put in this world and saved to become more like this world. We're saved to be a peculiar people unto Him. To be different to make a difference for Him and for His glory. Because our life doesn't belong to us anymore. We're bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Does that describe the life that we're living? If not, it's probably because we've gotten possessed by the wrong land. Amen. Notice over in 1 John. You know, when I, uh, when I, uh, uh, I shared my testimony here when I was here six years ago, a little bit about my life and uh, growing up and I had a pretty rough situation. I was saved when I was nine years of age, but I didn't, really, never grew in the Lord because I, uh, uh, my father was uh, very abusive and kept us from going to church and just uh, a lot of crazy things and, and uh, didn't have an opportunity to grow much. When I got in the military, my life was, was a mess for the first couple of years, and then God got a hold of my life and got, got me on track, and man, from that point on, just sold out, surrendered. I tell people I got saved when I was nine, I got converted when I was 21, amen. That's what I really said, okay, Lord, enough, I'm, I'm done, God, I'm done doing my own thing, and, and, and God put me on the pathway that He's put me on. And uh, at that point, I got involved with the church that my wife was from. 
And, uh, and we, they had an Awana program back then. And I, and, and I began to learn and memorize Bible verses. This was one of the first passages that I ever learned. And this passage was preached on all the time. I mean, everybody preached on this passage of Scripture. But it seems like anymore everybody shies away from it. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15. Love not the world. Well, preacher, the King James is hard to understand. Is there another version that I can get that would help me? Love not the world. Wouldn't be wrong to say, love not this world. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Boy, when we're so in love with this world and the things of this world, God's love's not even in us. Wonder why we're not making a difference and not making an impact today? We're so in love with the things of this life. If I ask you tonight, how many of you love the world? You ain't gonna, there ain't nobody going to raise your hand tonight. You say, that's foolish, that's suicide. I'm not doing that. But the truth of the matter is our actions prove we can say what we want to, but the way we live proves whether or not we're in love with this world. And, and it, it goes on to say this, uh, uh, for all that is in the world, and it gives three things here. Number one, it says the, the lust of the flesh. Ah, the lust of the flesh. This old flesh and what it longs after. You know, I don't know if you've ever put these two and two together. I'm a real simple, simple preacher. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but, but putting just simple thoughts together. Understand, realize, why is it that we spend so much time fulfilling the lust of the flesh, doing the things that make our flesh feel good when our flesh isn't even saved? So what are you talking about, Brother Martin? Your flesh isn't saved. My flesh isn't saved. Our spirit and our soul... One day we'll get to go to heaven because of that. But your old flesh is going to rot in the ground right here. It's going to be left here. Why? Because it's corruptible. Because it's sinful. Because it's wicked. Because it longs after its own things. Amen? And God's going to give us an incorruptible body. Amen? One that can't experience, uh, won't experience pain and anguish and won't experience sin. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, why do we spend so much time fulfilling the lust of the flesh when it's not even leaving this world? I'll tell you why. Because we're possessed by the wrong land. That's why. Because this whole world's got such a hold on us. And our mentality is to do the thing that feels good. Accomplish what we want. You know, uh, second thing it says there is the, the lust of the eyes. Yeah, Man, does that get us in trouble. The lust of the eyes. When I think of that, the very first thing I think about is Lot. If you go back and look in Genesis chapter 12, 13, it tells the story of Lot there. And it says when Abraham and, and Lot had that strife between the herdmen, it says that uh, uh, Abraham says, you choose the land that you want. And it says, and Lot lift up his eyes and beheld the plain of Sodom, that it was well watered. He knew what Sodom was. But he was lusting with the eyes after that land that looked so good. Then I think about uh, Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe Manasseh. I mean, when they saw the land of Jazer, 
when they began to see it, they began to lust after it. And then I think about David. You know, when David uh, was uh, sitting over the rooftop there and he was viewing the city when he should have been out into battle with his men, and he was overlooking the city, the land that God had given to him, he saw a woman bathing herself. And he sent someone to fetch her and bring her to him. You know, all three of those really had to do with being consumed with the lust of the eyes being consumed with the wrong land. Amen. Possessed by the wrong land. Hey, child of God, we need to keep our eyes on our heavenly home. Amen. God saved us and prepared for Hey, hey, He's preparing a place for us. Amen. Jesus promised He was going to do that. Amen. He's preparing a place for us, and we need to keep our focus on that. Amen. I, uh, turn over to Colossians chapter 3 for a moment. Colossians chapter 3. You see, when, when God saved us, He punched our ticket out of this life. And we need to live like we're not, <laughs> we're not invested into this world anymore. Amen. Colossians chapter 3. Notice what it says here. If ye then be risen with Christ. How many of you are saved tonight? Born again. Child of God. You're risen with Christ. Amen. Positionally, you're, you're saved. Amen. Thank God for that. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Hey, the Lord very clear there to the church at Colossae. You know what? Hey, if you're saved, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, let me just say something. I'm not saying that, you know, we need to stick our head in the sand, you know, and, and just wait till the Lord comes to get us or whatever. No, God has made us a creature the way that He's made us. There are three parts, and we need to live a balanced life. And there are things that are not necessarily bad until those things possess us. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'll be transparent with you. Uh, there was a time in my life, I already mentioned to you, that I, I love hunting. And there was a time in my life where hunting was a great sin in my life. You say, well, is hunting a sin? No, it's not, it's not a sin unless it possesses you. <laughs> and I was so consumed in hunting that I took, spent extra time and t- time away from my family and, and just so consumed that at that time when I could have been doing other things and doing things involved for the Lord, and, but I was so consumed in that. Uh, how, about, uh, how about working out? You know, as a firefighter for 15 years in the military for five years, and man, that was a part of my life, man, and training and working out and physical and all that. But you know what? There were times where that was more of a God to me so what's yours? What is it that this world of this world that has so caught hold of you that it keeps you back from being everything that you're supposed to be? Well, preacher, I'd go soul winning, but you know that night is the night that I've got a TV show that I just have to watch. Or, you know what? That's the night my kid's going to be playing baseball. Ooh, it's real quiet because... Because we come up with everything of this world because we get possessed by this world rather than the world that God has prepared for us. And we're hindered in our growth and what we can accomplish for the Lord. 
You say, well, okay, what are the things above? Well, that's pretty, pretty simple. How about this book that you hold in your lap right there? Amen. Hey, why don't, why don't we get our, our affection set on things above? Hey, why don't we get our affection set on the Word of God? If I went through the, uh, the crowd right now and I had you stand up and I asked you to start quoting verses of Scripture, how many verses of Scripture could you quote before there'd be a blank stop? <laughs> Can you even quote Scripture? Listen, I'm telling you, if we're not in love with this book, we don't know the book, we're not going to be able to quote Scripture. You say, oh, you're just a preacher, Brother Martin. You can tell us that stuff because you're a preacher. Hey, listen, I sat where you sat many more years than I'm doing what I'm doing now. I was 38 years of age when I went into ministry. But I'm going to tell you what, I memorized the Word of God. and I try- I'm not saying that I'm anything. But, but I know that, hey, if I'm going to make it, hey, the only way I made it through the fire department with, with wicked, wicked, wicked men and situations and talk and filth and all that I had to deal with, hey saturating my mind with Scripture, quoting it, hey, trying to get along with the Lord. What are you saying? Hey, get it, get in love with the Word of God. Fall in love with it, man. Set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. Hey, what else is in heaven? What about our Savior? <laughs> Seated at the right hand, continually interceding for us. Do we forget that? He is continually interceding on our behalf before the Father. Why don't we work on that relationship with Him? Hey, that's something that will never be taken away from us. Amen. It's just going to continue on when we get there. Amen. Hey, what about, what about souls? Why don't we set our affection on souls? Can, can you tell me when the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? How, how, how many people have you ever led to the Lord? You say, well, you know what, I'm just not a vocal person. I'm not either. I don't know about your preacher. He seems to be pretty open and, and can talk with people and everything. But, I, you know, really, getting up here to preach is an amazing thing. Because when I graduated from high school, the high school that I graduated from, we had about 800 people graduate. I had one friend. I couldn't talk to anybody. I, I, I just, I was very shy and I was a very backward person. And I, uh, I never gave a speech. He said, how'd you graduate high school? Uh, they just wanted me out of there, I guess. I don't know. But I never stood up and gave an oral speech. I couldn't. I would have died on the spot. <laughs> I couldn't stand in front of people. I couldn't do that. But let me tell you something. You fall in love with the Lord and you get, you get consumed in the things of the Lord and He'll change you. He'll give you boldness. Amen. You know, the truth of the matter is if we're not witnessing to people and if we're not passing tracks on and if we're not sharing the love of God with people, it's because we're not spending much time with Him. Amen, Brother Martin. That's good preaching. I like that. You and I both know when we're walking with the Lord, we're more apt to talk about Him and share Him with other people. You know, the problem is we've gotten so possessed by the things of this life. And you know, I, well, I hate to get started on this, but I am so up to here with, with the, the neo-evangelical lifestyle, with the non-denominational crowd that tries to tell us that, you know, uh, we don't, you don't need to live like that. You don't need to do those things. You don't need to... You know, they, they're, they're infiltrating. I, I'm preacher, I'm seeing so many people leave good, independent, fundamental Baptist churches and go to that mess. And it is a mess. You say, they love God like we love God. They, they were, I told preacher that 
Brother Matt, to me, they're worshiping another Christ. Because the Christ that they worship does things contrary to what the Word of God says. Jesus never stood against His Father, ever. Let me give you a little bit of my hillbilly theology. I'm just a hillbilly at heart. Hillbilly Theology 101. How many of you honestly believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to drink alcoholic beverages? We've got one rebel in the back. Raise your hand. You all are looking at me like stunned. Well, then why is it that we are in a place today where people are saying, well, there's nothing wrong with a social drink. I mean, Jesus drank wine. There's nothing wrong with people that don't know the Scriptures and don't know the truth. Say they'll make those kind of statements. But that non-denominational crowd, and they're trying to pull people away, trying to tell you, hey, I guarantee you there's people all across this crowd. You've had, you've had some of those people say, there's nothing wrong with having a drink or whatever. What makes that right today if we're not going to do it in heaven? I'll tell you what makes it right, getting possessed by the wrong land. That's what makes it right. Amen. Okay, number two, hillbilly theology. How many of you believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to jam it out for Jesus with CCM music? I didn't see a hand go up, preacher. You're not going to see. A, you're not going to raise your hand, even if you're listening to it right now. You're not going to do it because you know it's not going to be that way in heaven. It's psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what's going to be there. It ain't going to be that kind of junk that everybody's trying to make us listen to and get us to give into and everything. What makes that kind of music right? Getting possessed by the wrong land. That's what makes it right. Amen. Okay. Number three. Hillbilly theology. Amen. How many of you believe that when we get to heaven... The Lord's going to give every one of us our big giant screen TV and our remote control where we can watch our R-rated movies. I didn't see a hand on that one either, preacher. Then why are we doing it? Come on now. What makes it right right now? If we're not, because we're possessed by the wrong land, that's what makes it right. We're not possessed by what He's preparing for us. We're possessed by what this world has to offer. Amen. I'm feeling lonely up here. How about number four? Number four. Hillbilly theology number four. Come on now. I better hide behind the pulpit on this one. How many of you believe that when we get to heaven, it doesn't matter. It won't matter to God what we wear. We can dress however we want to dress. Because we'll be in the front of grace then. The world today throws at us a grace that is less than holy. Let me tell you something. Grace never compromises. All these people are trying to tell you, oh, your church is just too strict. You don't have to wear things like, come to our church. It doesn't matter what you wear. It matters if the book says it does. Amen. Listen, friends, uh God said, and, and I, I've heard this so many times, and, I, and I'm, weary, I'm growing weary of dealing with this one over and over and over again, preacher, but 
people try, are trying to discount Scriptures in the Old Testament because it's Old Testament. We don't live under the Old Testament. Now, we don't live under ceremonial law. But God's moral law has never changed. Never will change. It will always be the same. Amen. And God said that there is a difference between the sexes. There's a distinction. And God said that there is an attire for a man and there's an attire for a woman. Amen. And the attire that He speaks about for a man in the Scriptures is different than the attire that He speaks about for a woman. Amen. God only talks about a, the, the, the linen girdle or the, the loincloth. He only talks about it in dealing with a man. He only talks about a man girding up his loins. Matter of fact, the Scriptures say, gird up thy loins like a man. That's gathering up between the legs, girding up the loins. It's always in dealing with men, never with women. I think there's an application there for us today. There's an attire for man, there's an attire for woman. And we've switched over, and we've crossed this thing over, and we've tried to make everybody believe it doesn't make a difference. I guarantee you it does to God. Because He put it in His book. Amen. I knew I should hide behind here, but... Listen, I love you guys. I do. You say, you don't even know us. I love you. I love God's people. Amen. I just want to see us get closer to Him. I want us to become what He wants us to be. Amen. But we can't do it as long as we're possessed by this world. How can we believe that, that, that it's not going to matter to God in heaven and we can dress however we want to dress? Being possessed by the wrong land, that's why. Amen. If, we're not going to be, if it matters to God what we're going to wear up there, it ought to matter right now what we wear right now. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews 11. I don't have a lot more here. I just, like I said, I'm just kind of sharing my heart with you a little bit tonight. We're going to go back to where we started. Notice what it says here. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise. As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. God fulfilled His promise to Abram, if you'll follow me, if you'll just leave your country, if you'll go to the land and head that way, uh, and follow what I'm telling you, your, sa- your seed will be like the sand by the seashore, like the stars uh, of the sky in the heavens. And here's what it says in verse 13, These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Listen, that's what living the life of faith is all about. Amen. Seeing it afar off. Hey, being persuaded by it. Embracing it. And becoming what God wants us to be even in this life. Amen. So that we can make the difference that God wants us to make. Amen. As we go on to read here, notice what it says. 
For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, let me just kind of paraphrase that, if they'd have been possessed by that land that they were coming out of, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country. That is an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Amen. Man, what's, what's wrong with us today? We're so possessed by this old world. This old world's going to be done away with one day. We're so consumed by the things of this flesh and the things of this world here. Oh, uh, 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 by the way, um, I forgot to finish First John. Turn back over to First John. I forgot to finish that, that little passage there. You know, I, I think of that old song, I'm possessed of a hope that is steadfast and sure since Jesus came into my heart. Are you, are you possessed of that tonight? Are you possessed by something else tonight? In First John chapter 2, again, in verse number, we read verse number 15 and 16. We read part of it here. It says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and there's the third one, the pride of life. The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The greatest problem that you and I have tonight is pride. If you, if you sat in your seat tonight and got upset with anything that I said tonight, that's because of pride. Because all I did was share Bible truth with you tonight. It's pride. This old pride gets us in so much problems and so much trouble. It causes us to fight against God. And uh, the pride of this life, and notice what it says, and the, uh, is uh, not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Boy, aren't you glad that one day lust is going to pass away? <laughs> Man, I'm so thankful. I'm so tired and tired of fighting with it. Tired of battling with it. Amen. You know, uh, there's, uh, there's not a person in, in this world that lives in this world that's a born-again child of God that doesn't fight with lust in your life. Some type of lust. I gave some of those sheets to sent to preacher to hand out and, and to go over and some of the things. And Jonathan Edwards, uh, 13 resolutions to live by. And Jonathan Edwards, the man who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God that was used in the Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening in our country. And it, one of those resolutions was to never stop or never cease in his battle against the lust of the flesh. Amen. But I'm, I'm so thankful it's going gonna, it's gonna to be done away with one day. You know, James 4, 4 says this in the Scripture. It says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. And it's not talking about physical relationship there. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And then it goes on to say this. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He, he just added a little bit more uh, to what was said there in First John about love not the world. He said, if you're a friend of the world, then you're at, you're at enmity with God. As a matter of fact, if you are a friend with the world, you become the enemy of God. Ouch. How many of you say, I'm a friend of the world? You say, are you nuts? I ain't raising my hand. <laughs> That's crazy. 
Why would I raise my hand for that? You don't have to raise your hand, but just ask yourself this question. Do you fit this definition for the word? Here's the definition for that word friend here. One who is attached to another by affection. Is there any affection in our lives that attaches us to this world? Then we're a friend of this world. And as long as we're a friend of this world, we're the enemy of God. And when we become a friend of this world and get consumed in the passions and the entanglements and the affairs of this life, get possessed by this land, then we can't be possessed by the land that God has prepared for us. That ought to be where our mind is focused because that's where He's taken us one day. Amen. You know, uh, as we close here, let me just ask you again the question. Just which land is possessing you tonight? There's so much of this old world and the devil and this flesh that draws us and pull us and try to keep us back from what God has prepared for us. I had the privilege when I went into the ministry, when I, uh, when I was 38 years old, I had 15 years in the fire department. I had five years military time, so I was five years from retiring when God opened the door for me to go to work in the ministry, at the camp ministry down at Mount Salem Revival Grounds. And uh, we, we up and trusted God and, and stepped out by faith. Five little children from three to 13 years of age. We had no salary. The camp didn't pay a salary. And uh, we had no support at the beginning. There's a few churches took us on, and we lived on $300 a month for the first year I was in the ministry. And I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me. I'm trying to tell you about what a wonderful God that we have. Amen. And how He takes care of us, and how He, he just leads us along and wants us to follow Him. And, and just, hey, if we just follow Him, He takes care of everything else. Amen. But on going down to the camp and working at Mount Salem Revival Grounds, uh, the founder of the camp there was Dr. Joe Boyd. How many of you ever heard of Dr. Joe Boyd? Dr. Boyd was, uh, he's one of my heroes too. I love Dr. Boyd. I never met a man in my life that cared more about souls than Joe Boyd did. What a man of God he was. Um, While we were there, his wife, Miss Edith, got sick. And um, she ended up passing away. And when she passed away, uh, she was going to be buried up in Hammond, and, uh, and uh, uh, Dr. Hiles rented a bus for us to take, uh, uh, to take the group from the camp on up there to be there for the funeral. And so we, uh, we all got on that bus, and Dr. Boyd decided, you know what, he, wouldn't, he didn't want to go on his own. He wanted to ride the bus with us. So he got on the bus with us, and, and boy, if you knew Dr. Boyd, man, he's just a take-charge kind of guy. And when he got on the bus, he, he said, you know what? He said, I want to sing some songs. We're gonna, this is going to be a happy time, man. Miss Edith's in heaven, and we're going to enjoy this. And, and uh, he said, I want to sing Miss Edith's favorite song. And he led us in this song. And he started weeping and started crying. And if we sang that song one time, I promise you we sang it 20 or 30 times on our way up there. But this is the song we sang. You help me sing it. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet 
on that beautiful shore. You know, as I sang that song, and as my mind began to run, begin to think of all the people that I'm sure looking forward to seeing that are already over there. I, I can't wait to see my sweet mom that went through so much heartache and sorrow. It's the dearest thing in my life to me for so many years of my life passed away six years ago. I can't wait to see her again. I can't wait to see my Uncle Charlie again, my mom's brother. He's an old leather-lung, wind-sucking preacher from North Carolina, and he was preaching the night I got saved. I can't wait to see him again. I can't wait to see my father-in-law again, my wife's daddy. Boy, if there was ever a man that prayed for our family and that was behind us and that loved us, and it was my father-in-law. He's in heaven today. But as that old song goes, Oh, I want to see Him. Look upon His face. There to sing forever of His saving grace. I don't know about you. I, I fear there's going to be too many tears of sorrow already. And He'll wipe them all away. Hallelujah for that. But I don't want to cause Him any more grief than I already have. You say, how can we keep from doing that, Brother Martin? Get possessed by the right man. Get possessed by what he saved us for rather than what we're enjoying and what we feel like we have here. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.